You're listening to Art Affairs, episode 75. Today I'll be talking to Junko Mizuno. So my name is Michael Faith, and this is Art Affairs. Art Affairs is my attempt at shining a spotlight on the many wonderful people that make up this amazing art community, featuring conversations with artists, gallerists, curators, telling their stories. You can take through previous episodes, complete with show notes, at artaffairspodcast.com. But the best way to stay plugged in is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're really enjoying the show and want to help support what I'm doing here in an even bigger way, Check out the Art Affairs Patreon. Not only does it give you an opportunity to help keep the show going, but there are several community-oriented benefits as well, like getting early access to episodes and suggesting questions for upcoming guests. You can find all the information about that at patreon.com slash artaffairs. You can also connect with the show on Instagram at artaffairspodcast. All right, so today's guest is artist Junko Mizuno. Junko has had a very diverse career getting her start with a comic magazine publisher in Japan, and then later transitioning to a fine art career here in the States. But throughout them all, she has had an unwavering focus on strong and dynamic feminine characters. We talk about this transition from comic creator to painter on the show, as well as the curiously contrasting themes that are weaved into her work, an exciting new tarot-themed series she's going to be starting on this year, and a whole lot more. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Junko Mizuno. Junko, welcome to the show. It's it's really good to have you on. Hi. Thank you for having me. All right. Awesome. And let's talk about your background a little bit. And, you know, I was talking to you a little bit just before we started recording, but uh, you were born and, and, and spent the early part of your life in Tokyo. Um, and I, it's not a city I've ever been to, but my perception of it is that's a huge urban environment. So, like, what was that like growing up in such a large urban center? I didn't think too much about that until I first went to uh, first went out of the country. When I was 25 or 6, I went to Hawaii with my friend just for fun and realized Tokyo is kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, also after after that, I started traveling around the world, you know, the U.S. and Europe. And yeah, that made me realize I grew up in a crazy city. It's very dense and a lot of buildings. You know, uh, I was surprised when I went to L.A. because I heard it was a big city. But, you know, you have to have a car. Right. <laughs> and it's very spread out. Tokyo is more, you know, it's very dense and, you know, you can go everywhere by train and walking. It's similar to New York, but I used to think every city in the world was like Tokyo, but I I realized it was not. Yeah, I mean, growing up, like, that that was what just 
your um, perception of normal. So like you didn't know any better. I guess what kind of work does your parents do? Did, did anything creative? Uh, not, no. <laughs> My father is a construction worker. It's like, uh, I don't know how, how you call it in English. Sakang in Japanese. It's like, okay. uh, maybe it's plasterer. Hmm, okay. You know that word? Yeah, so like does the texture on walls? Walls and, you know, stairs and, you know, you need you need a skill to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And my mother is basically, she was basically a housewife, but she sometimes did part-time jobs, like working at a supermarket and stuff like that. So it's a very, very normal family. It's, I, I didn't grow up in a very artistic family. So I guess what sparked your own creative interests? How did you become interested in creating art as a kid? I don't remember because I was already obsessed with drawing when I was two or three. I naturally started it. And I remember I, I, was, always, I was already thinking about becoming a professional comic artist when I was three. Wow. <laughs> That's ambitious. <laughs> yeah. But it was you know, I I was born in nineteen seventy three and comic artist was one of the most popular professions for little kids because they had a lot of comic uh magazines for kids and we grew up reading it. And I know that you, when you were like 10 years old, you, you went so far as submitting your own like original <laughs> comic to a magazine publisher. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, I that's did. It's crazy ambitious. Like what made you so motivated <laughs> at such a young age? Uh, I simply wanted to become a comic artist, but also uh, I hated school so much. So maybe, you know, if you become... A comic artist and start working early. Maybe I can stop going to the school early. <laughs> that was That's your way I out thought. of school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. Were your parents supportive of this like passion of yours? My father didn't care. He didn't know anything about. You know, it's 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 a typical reaction of fathers in Japan at the time. They're not supposed to care so much about the family. They're they were just supposed to be working hard for the family outside of the house. And it was the mother's mother's role to, you know, take care of the kids. And my mother was really worried about me. Oh, yeah? Cause she th- yeah, because she thought I was <laughs> too much into mm. making art. I was always drawing and it was I was just too obsessed so my mother sometimes told me to to try something else. She's like, you know, you are too much into art. Maybe <laughs> maybe you should try going outside and play with other kids and you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and from what I understand, when you were in high school, your focus shifted a little bit away from comics and more into acrylic painting. I guess what motivated that change in focus for you? So I submitted my comic to a publisher twice when I was 10 and also when I was 13 or so 
And, you know, I was so young and didn't get the reaction that I wanted. I wanted to get a job from them. But by the way, uh, it was not too crazy uh, because many Japanese comic artists started working as a professional very early. Like, really? Yeah. I don't know if it, if it's still like that, but in, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, some artists started getting professional jobs from the, from magazines, um, around the age of 16 or 17. Wow. So, so that's what I wanted to happen to me, but it didn't. Yeah, but it didn't. So I, I was really disappointed and decided I didn't have the, the talent to make comics. So maybe I thought maybe I should just give up on making stories and become an illustrator. So that's why I started trying other art styles. Okay. Yeah. That's that's sort of unfair um to yourself. I mean you're you're 13 years old at that point. Of course you're you're not going to be seasoned yeah. as a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm a bit Yeah, I was a crazy kid. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. So after high school, did you do any kind of um, you know, studying in at like an art school or anything or did you just go right into working after you graduated? So like I said, I I hated school so much. <laughs> I didn't go want to go to art school but uh i grew up in tokyo until i was 11 and then my parents decided to go back to where they were born and grew up which is like two hours by car from tokyo it's a countryside so we moved there and you know i submitted the comics from from that place Mm to Tokyo. But I wanted to move back to Tokyo really badly because it was <laughs> the countryside and I believed I wouldn't be able to, you know, become a, an artist in the countryside. What kind of um work did you do after after high school or So after high school, I didn't want to go to art school because I hated school, but I wanted to move back to Tokyo. So I needed to make some excuse for my parents. My mother was, you know, my mother didn't want me to move back to Tokyo without having any reasons. But I don't know, I just want, wanted to move back to Tokyo and, you know, started making, start making connections. So I didn't want to start, uh, working at a company or anything. I just wanted to move back to Tokyo and start making art and showing it to people. You know, there was no internet at the time, right? Right, right. It's, it's probably hard to imagine <laughs> for, for younger people. So I uh, decided to go to this school in Tokyo it's a, it's a it's a doll making school and it's named school but it was just once a week type of thing and it was not too expensive 
So I told my mother, like, I really wanted to go to the school and I need to move back to Tokyo. And also my sister found a job in Tokyo. So we decided to move back together. Nice. Yeah. So, so I didn't really go to the art school, but I, I went to the doll making school. The doll making school. school. <laughs> yeah. But it was just an excuse. It was fun. But it was just an excuse. What kind of work did you do to pay the bills while you were going to the doll making school? I, I just did a part time jobs. Yeah, for the first one, uh, first few months, I worked as a cashier at a supermarket, and I got bored, <laughs> and then started working part time at a movie theater. Okay, but we. Lived in a in a tiny apartment, so I didn't need to make too much money. Nice. And while you were doing these odd jobs, from what I understand, you were also creating your own zine, right? Called mm-hmm. Mina. Um, I guess. And I I remember reading up that you also made a zine when you were like five years old for your sister. So so was this like an extension of that earlier project, or was this a whole yeah, new yeah. endeavor? Yeah. Exactly. I was really shy at the time, and yeah, I didn't have the courage to bring my, you know, art to publishers directly. So I thought, and you know, there was no internet at the time. So I thought it would be a good idea to make a zine and and give it away to people at events or at my friend's shop. And I expected to 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 get a job by doing that, and it actually happened this time. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, so were you distribute? Were you like, how are you printing these? How are you like <laughs> mass producing these? <laughs> That's really funny. So I was really, yeah. Looking back, it was really weird. I was so determined I should become an artist. But on the other hand, I was really shy, and I was not sure how people thought about my work, and I was scared to see the reaction directly. So I, I was so, um, yeah, I was even too shy to bring the works to the printer. Oh wow! Because my work is a little bit weird. So I thought people would, (laughs) I was scared people would think I'm a weirdo. And I was also kind of ashamed to see the reactions. So I, I just brought the originals and photocopied it at the shop so no one could see it. So I, I didn't really mass produce it. It was like, 20, 30 copies at a time. Okay. And you just assembled it all yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay. With, with staplers. <laughs> Interesting. And But that actually got you discovered. Like you said, that actually ended up getting yeah, you a yeah. job. Yeah. And so how did, the, how did they discover your zine? How did this, this comic, uh, pop culture comic, discover your zine? Um, it was at my friend's shop in Harajuku. And... They were carrying uh, kind of like a weird vintage toys and 
you know, vintage clothing from the U.S. So it was fitting to my, you know, artwork, <laughs> you know, in a in a weird, weird shop. You know, you know, Harajuku is, is like a really, um, it's a place where young people go. So it's not a place with with high fashion brand like Louis Vuitton or anything. It's more like very unique fashion for young kids. They go that they go to Harajuku to find that kind of stuff. Okay. And I think the shop got popular for having weird stuff. I remember one of the weird things they had was was the was this jacket from the 80s and it's designed to look like the one Michael Jackson was wearing um. <laughs> in in Beat It. Nice. Video clip that kind of shop also they had old american colorful toys like like my little pony and stuff like that so the editor of the of the pop culture magazine wanted to cover the shop you know wanted to make an article about the shop so the editor editors came to the shop to interview the owners and then they found my zine nice. being sold there, and they were interested in, you know, working with me. That's how it started. It's amazing. And so, like, once you started working for this magazine, what kind of work were you doing for them? Was it illustrated uh, stories? Was it comic stories? I don't. Yeah, it was just they gave me two pages a month. Or sometimes three or four pages, and I did. Ju- I I just did short comics, but yeah, it was not a serious stories. It was just you know funny, uh, weird comics. And so, was this like a monthly a monthly uh, magazine, or was they weekly? How often were you were you drawing these stories? I think I think it was monthly. Or bi-monthly? I don't remember. Yeah, but probably monthly, yeah. Okay. And it was only a couple of years after you started working for them in, in 96 um, that you released your first graphic novel. In, in 1998, you, you released Pure Trance in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that project come about? Was it sort of a, an extension of what you were doing with this pop culture magazine, or was it completely separate? It was not completely separated. So when I was working with the magazine, this record company in Japan called Avex. Avex is pretty big. It's like a dance music uh, record company, and they had they had advertisement pages in the magazine every month, and they started this uh, compilation CD techno cd called pure trance it's the name of the series (laughs) they already had volume one to volume 10 and they were releasing it uh i think every other month and it's like it was like a compilation of different techno artists from from different places and it was in the 90s and you know 
the techno music was a big thing. Yeah. So it was like um an introduction of different techno artists to Japanese audience through the CDs. Yeah. So it was bi monthly. And for until volume 10, it was just a, a computer generated images with the name Pure Trance on it. And the guy who was making it wanted to do something else. And he saw my work in the magazine and told the editor, maybe, wow. you know, I can use her for, you know, for the cover art for the series, you know, from, from the volume 11 to volume 20 or something. And I said, yes. And I met the guy and he, he was into comic as well. And he came up with the idea of having a serial comic story wow. inside of the, the CD booklet. <laughs> it is very, you know, it's not normal. It's a very it's amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> very unique. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah. And I, I was not sure because I hadn't made any long comic stories before that, but thought it will be interest, interesting. And also it was not too intimidating because it's inside of the, the CD booklet. Right. I would have been really intimidated if it was in a, in a comic magazine like famous comic magazine, but it was just like, it was not a main thing. The main thing was the, the CD and music. So I could be a, a little bit relaxed about the idea of, you know, creating com comic. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so for each of these, um, kind of installments um, with each volume of the CD, did they build into a larger story? And then that was ultimately collected into the graphic novel. Yeah, but, you know, it was a CD booklet, so it couldn't be too thick. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be inside of the, the CD case. So it was just like 10 pages for for every CD. But around the end of the story, this other editor, I think I I had already started working with other other publishers at the time and one of them was interested in you know making it into a, a graphic novel book so i uh, added a lot of pages it's a very diff different version the book version is very different from the cd booklet version because okay. i had to make it much longer sure and so with something like Pure Trance or, or one of the many, you know, graphic novels that you've created since, do you typically create all aspects of the graphic novel from the art to the lettering to the coloring? Do you do all of it yourself or do you have other people involved in some of those roles? No, I do everything by myself. And it's normal for, for Japanese sure, comic artists. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And how do you usually approach like the story side of things? Do you typically write the story out in its entirety as sort of like a manuscript or do you break things down along the way and do them bit by bit and break it up that way? It's a complicated process and I haven't done it for a long time, but I usually 
start imagining things. You know, things come up in my, you know, the images come up in my head, and I write it down or just do sketches of it, and then I write down the script. But I don't think I can call it a script because it's it's only for me.、Mm. I think other people probably don't understand <laughs> what it means. But but I make I make a script kind of thing, and then break down the story. Like you know, this is going to be on page one, two, three, and then three to four, and then I. Create the storyboard and start working on it. And for that, do you do you tend to draw it out as like pencil sketches, and then you progress to like an ink drawing, and then you color that? Is that typically the progression when you get to the art side of it?、Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And do you feel it that larger narratives like this come naturally for you? Is it something that you felt comfortable doing when you started making larger stories? Uh, I don't know. I haven't done it for a long time. I have done a couple of short stories, which were like four pages or two pages, in the last fourteen years. You know, since I moved to the U.S., I've been working mainly as a as an artist, you know, like gallery right, artist. Right. So I haven't done much. Comic work, but I I'm planning to do another like long story, but it's a it's a hard work. <laughs> It needs a lot of time and energy. So I really want to start doing it. I like it, but I'm also scared of it. Ah,、uh, because you haven't done it in a while. Yeah, and also once you start doing it, it's. Your 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 life will be revolving around、oh. it. Yeah, you really need to get into it. But I have too many things I need to do right now, so I'm trying to f- find the time and find the best way to do it. Yeah, like while I'm working on it, maybe I can't make you know any money、oh. out of it. So it's one of those things that you have to just give all of your time and, and attention to. Yeah, I think so. And so you mentioned the the transition to being a gallery artist and and your move to the U.S. I know that your first、um, gallery exhibition, at least according to your CV, was in、uh, Mary Kurnowski in two thousand seven. How did you start getting your work, your artwork, noticed by galleries, and you know start making some of those connections、um, in the art world? Yeah, so I kept working as a comic artist and illustrator in Japan since around ninety nineteen ninety six to two thousand seven. I think around uh two thousand five or something. I started getting a lot of offers from American and European people. My comic books were translated into English and were published in the U.S. around yeah I think it was around two thousand five 
and I started getting a lot of offers and interview offers and stuff like that. And I had only done one art show in Tokyo in the 90s, and it went well. But after that, I, I was focusing more on comic work, and I didn't do any art shows. I got some offers for gallery shows, but I was not sure how it worked in the US. So I kind of wanted to try doing it. But I was also thinking, like, if it was the good time to do it, because I was so busy with, you know, in Japan, it's more about, you know, deadlines.、Um, you know, I had serial comics in monthly magazines and also illustration jobs. The schedule was really tight. And my English was not really good, also. So I, Hoped someone would help me on that. And then in 2005, there was a My Little, My Little Pony exhibition in, I think it was in New York also, you know, where artists would create their own custom My Little Pony. We were given the blank ponies and we, you know, painted on it. And I decided to do that because I, I loved My Little Pony and, and it was a group show. So it was less intimidating than solo show. So I, I thought it was a good chance to, you know, be in the, the gallery world. Yeah. And then I did that and I also decided to go to New York to see the show. So I went there and I met. Aiko. Do you know Aiko? She's a. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, graffiti artist.、Mm-hmm. You know, she's Japanese. And she talked to me there and she knew, she knew my work. And we became friends and, you know,、nice. started communicating on emails. And, and then in 2007 or 2006, she. Told me she was going to have a group show with, with Miss Fan. And, you know, she wanted to have one more person. And she asked me to do the show at Mary Karnowski. That's awesome. That's how it happened. Yeah, it was great because I, I, I could start doing the gallery show with the help of Aiko. Yeah. You know. That's amazing to make that kind of a connection with a fellow artist、mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, we even shared the same attorney for,、oh. for, the, for the visa application. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She, well, it was her. She told me, you know, maybe she can, maybe you can move to the US. And,、yeah. you know. So, were there, there are not very many opportunities for you to show your art in a gallery setting in Japan? Like, how does the art community differ there versus what you've experienced in the US?、Uh, I'm talking about, you know, Like 20 years ago. Right. It was, it was very different. I think at the time. So when I did, did an art show in Tokyo, I was still like 23 or 24. So how, how long ago it was? It was almost 30 years ago. Right. And I remember basically gallery shows in, in, Japan at the time was、uh, 
the artists rented the gallery.、Mm. Like you, you are supposed to pay the gallery first. Wow! And then you can get the sales of the artwork. That that was how、uh, it worked in Japan around thirty years ago. Mainly, I don't know. Maybe there were some galleries that worked the same way as the U.S. and Europe, but as far as I know, it was it was normal in Japan to to rent the gallery for artists. But I think it's changing now. There are more, you know, galleries that work as the same way as. Is in here and also in Europe. That's what I hear from younger artists in in Japan. But it's still difficult because collecting original original artwork in Japan is is not very common. Really? Yeah. So when people like art, they usually you know get art books or merchandise. It's also changing now, but it's still difficult to to sell like big paintings, especially you know the style of my artwork. It's maybe it's easier if you are painting something more, how would you say, traditional, like the scenery or a portrait or something, you know, something. How to say safer? <laughs> right, because <right. laughs> <laughs> usually the people who buy original artworks are are wealthy people, but my fans are much younger, and it's I think it's difficult for them to start collecting originals. Makes sense. So it's interesting that it's starting to to evolve and and change a little bit, but still、mm-hmm. have some of those challenges.、Um, so a couple years after that show at Mary Karnowski,、um, you had what I believe is your first solo show in the states at Rock La Rue,、uh, which shout out to Kirsten. She was a former guest on the show.、Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the yeah. show was titled Desert Women.、Um, how did you connect with Kirsten, and 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 how did that first solo show come together? I actually don't remember, but maybe she knew. She knew Last Gasp people. You know, Last Gasp is a publisher in San Francisco, and they published Kirst- Kirsten's book. But I think she just emailed me. Yeah, after after the two thousand seven Mary Karnowski shows, I started working with so many different galleries and so many different people. So I really don't remember <laughs> how things happened to me. But it it was mostly emails, and it was around that same time,、um, I think two thousand nine, where you moved to the U.S. and and like you said, you mentioned you you、uh, had Ico to thank for some of those、uh, legal relationships. <laughs>、mm-hmm. I guess what motivated that move、uh, from Japan to to California?、Uh, that was the success of of my gallery shows. I was surprised how much how how many you know pieces I could sell. And it was new to me. I didn't. I never thought about selling originals and you know making a living as a gallery artist. It was fun. Also, 
in Japan, I was I was getting much less jobs around that time. I was pretty busy in the nineties and until early two thousand, but I only had a couple of serial comics. But the jobs I was getting around that time was from, yeah, I remember I worked in a in a porn porn mag in Japan. Yeah, I think people in Japan were kind of confused because my work is is very hard to categorize. You know, it has a lot of nudity, but it's not porn. Right. It's not girls' comic. It's not men's comic. You know, there are genres in Japanese comic, but I couldn't fit in any of it. <laughs> so I found out. Like I thought, maybe I could do something more interesting in the other countries. Yeah, that's interesting. And and you mentioned, um, you know, the different gallery relationships that you've had. Throughout the course of your career, from Gallery Nucleus, La Luz de Jesus, Cotton Candy Machine, and full of others, um, I guess, do you feel that that having a strong relationship with a gallery in that way is an important component of your career? Like, has that been a necessary, um, you know, component of a, a modern day artist? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I totally think so. I don't know, maybe. Some artists have have managers or you know the people who take care of them, but for me, it's especially gallery nucleus has been really helpful. Yeah, it's it's important for me to have someone to talk to and you know who listens to uh, what you want to do and who tries to you know, help you accomplish it. Sure. We've talked a little bit about, you know, both sides of, of your career from the comic, um, you know, creation side to the gallery art side. Between those two different forms of art making, how would you compare the skill sets required to be good at painting versus creating comics? Or do they have overlapping skills that, that you think that are important or are they very different as far as how you approach the two? Yeah, they do have overlapping skills like drawing, you know, right. <laughs> it's the basic thing. But yeah, making comics helped me um become cha- become more challenging. Like, you know, if I keep making art, it's just one scene. When you are doing comics, you have to tell the story. And sometimes you have to draw something you usually don't just to tell the story. And also different angles, different poses. And it becomes like a training for you. You can use the skill when you do do um, do fine art. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, yeah. You, you can get new skills while doing comics and then use those in the in the art making process. Yeah, yeah. And also you can discover different things like how to draw one thing from different angles and different ways. 
Oh, interesting that, that yeah. those would be complementary in that way. Um, so, <laughs> so diving in, you mentioned your style and sort of the unique nature of your style. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about that. You know, obviously throughout your career, you've had a strong focus on strong women. Um, why do you think women and specifically kind of strong, but also, you know, complicated feminine figures have, you know, become your primary focus? Uh, I don't know. One of the reasons I keep drawing women is that I'm a woman, but I don't know. I've, I've been like this since I was very little. I enjoyed drawing women and not much of men. I don't know why. It's just natural for me. But also, yeah, they are strong, but they're also kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, it's not like, uh, the kind of women that I've been a weird woman in Japan. You know, Japanese culture, you know, is, you know, they want women to be nice and soft and beautiful, not crazy like me. <laughs> so is that sort of a rebellion, uh, like a, a sense of rebellion kind for of, you? Yeah, yeah, it it makes me feel comfortable creating crazy female characters that they kind of <laughs> <laughs> that they kind of hate that's, that's very like <laughs> punk rock like core for you that's amazing <laughs> so i mean there is this kind of mixture between you know cuteness but also like horror and like erotica and stuff like that uh, i guess what is it that you like about those contrasts in themes you know having them appear on the surface somewhat cute but then also have these other things going on it's i don't know it's just natural for me because i grew up in japan where you know the cute culture was so popular you know the hello kitty right right cutesy girls comic and animations i loved their styles but also i was into horror movies and horror comics and also, like, science fiction with a lot of violence and blood. And, you know, it's just a mix mix of everything. So it kind of reflects your own interests, your own kind yeah, of yeah. personal taste. Yeah, so it's not like I'm trying to mix the innocent and violence and, sh- and shock people. It's It's not like that. I'm just doing it naturally. I think it's... It's also natural because the world is like that. The world yeah. is a mix of different things. Yeah, very complicated just um, by its very nature. And, and oftentimes, you know, I, I, in reading up on your, your style um, of work, especially in the early part of your career, I saw people compare your work to a kawaii noir style, uh, like a manga noir. But obviously your styles evolved far beyond that um you know since the early days of your career how do you feel that your your work or your style has evolved over the years you know either in terms of themes or appearance sometimes i i feel like i'm doing the same thing over and over again <laughs> <laughs> i haven't changed much i think but i think i'm more aware of why i'm making the art in in the style like i said i was uncomfortable being in 
Japanese culture, being a a weirdo. <laughs> But still, when I look back my my old work, I feel like I was just doing what I wanted to. But the reason behind it was the same thing. I haven't changed, but I'm just able to to make it into words now. You know, back then I didn't think too much about what I was doing, but I just now I know why I've been doing it. Interesting. So it's you know you're better informed about the origins of your your own creative. Voice, I yeah, guess. yeah, probably. Interesting. So, you know, with your background in in comics,、um, do you find that you, as you're working on your painted works, that you build stories into the the single, you know, single images that you're painting? Do you tend to? Does it help you in the creative process to build a story around that? Yeah, yeah. Not all the time, but. Sometimes I create stories and I use the story in the comic. So, so yeah, it's good for me to do different things. I also get, I also get bored very easily. <laughs> so it's it's better for me to to be doing different things all the time. Have you ever written stories about a character that was in one of your paintings that you you really liked the way that that character was depicted? So you made a story out of it. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I made a. It's not a a long story. It was just two pages of comics without any. How do you say the characters didn't say anything? But I made a two page comic based on a big painting I created. It was a long time ago. So when you're working on your your gallery works,、um, do you? I, I guess how do you approach Uh, ideation, like how do you arrive at your ideas for your your gallery works? Do you have brainstorming activities, or do you have like a daily sketch routine? I don't have daily sketch routine. <laughs> I wish I had, but I it's very random. Sometimes I come up with an idea, seeing one Instagram post. Or sometimes I randomly come up with an idea while I'm walking around in my neighborhood, or when I'm watching movies or listening to music. It happens randomly in different places. And then, how do you usually capture that idea? Once you have that idea, do you draw draw a quick sketch to kind of capture it in your in your mind? Or yeah, when I'm walking, I can't sketch, so I. Sometimes I email myself、mm. <laughs> the idea and come home and yeah do a sketch or or sometimes I don't remember what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> you know it happens when you you know take note and after a while you don't remember what it was. Right, right. <laughs> and so once you have that idea, once you've Remembered what that idea is, and you want to move forward with it. Where does it usually go from there, as far as developing your composition? Do you do you approach it similar to how you do com how you did comics, where you draw it in pencil and then take it to ink and then paint that, or do you have、yeah. a different process? I don't need the script, right? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, 
But yeah, I start doodling and then do a sketch on paper. And then I scan it into Photoshop. I make I make a mock-up of the painting mm. on Photoshop, deciding on, you know, what color to use. And then I print it out and trace it onto... Recently, I use a wood panel a lot. So I, you know, trace it on the wood panel and start painting. I also print out the mock-up and use it as a reference does it does it ever evolve much after the point where you've created that mock-up like as you're painting it do you change certain elements along the way or does it stay pretty close sometimes yeah but it's usually pretty close i don't make a big change but it's a very very rough mock-up i'm very impatient some (laughs) art you know some artists make mock-ups that are like you know that are already like the the finished work, right? But I'm like I'm not like that. Yeah, <laughs> you just want to get started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very rough mock-up, so it looks different, but the colors are the same. And once you start working on a, a painting, the painting part part of your piece, do you tend to focus entirely on that one piece until it's done, or do you work on multiple pieces at the same time? Sometimes I try to finish two pieces at the same time, but it's not ideal. I like focusing on one painting at a time because it's easier. And I'm getting older, so I'm. <laughs> it's difficult for me to focus on you know on two pieces at the same time for a long time. But sometimes I have to do that because of the deadlines. But I come up with ideas while I'm painting a piece. Hmm. You know, I come up with ideas for the next painting. That makes sense. And, and as far as the, the mediums that you work in, you pretty much work exclusively in, in acrylic for your painted pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that you like about acrylic as, as a medium opposed to something like, you know, watercolor or oil or something like that? Uh, I've tried oil when I was in high school, but... I decided I was too impatient. (laughs) Too impatient. Yeah, yeah. It takes a while to dry up, and and also, the I didn't like the cleaning process. Yeah, and the smell. You just want to paint. You don't want any of the other stuff. You just want to get in and paint. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Are there any other mediums that you that you want to explore that you haven't had a chance to? I really wanted to start making dollhouses and dioramas, miniatures. That's what I'm planning to do when I'm like 70 or something. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I I used to do that when I was like 10 or 11. I used to love making uh, miniatures and dollhouses as a kid. That was one of the, my hobbies. I, I like I really liked making tiny food and you know tiny houses. 
I mean, that's a, that's sort of a good segue because I did want to talk to you a little bit about the figures that you've created over the years. And you have a new Witch Queen figure, actually, that, that was recently made available for pre-order by Kid, mm-hmm. Kid Robot. Um, what was the experience like working with Kid Robot on this new figure? Uh, it was... I've worked with them for a long time. So, yeah, it was the, it was pretty much the same. But this time I was... I was really impressed by the uh the sculpting process. I just need to draw the the turnaround drawing like from side and back and you know, front drawings and the sculptor develops it from my drawings. But it used to be really I don't know sometimes it was difficult because the sculptor couldn't, you know, get what I had in mind. And it took a long time to... And I think back... Uh, I think when I started working with them, they were still sculpting physically. But recently, it's all digital. And it got more... I don't know, maybe that's because they got used to my style or something. But this time it was pretty fast. And once I said something, they made the change perfectly. Oh, it was, nice. Yeah. And I thought like how I was really impressed how it had become so easy to work with the sculptors over the years. That's awesome. And is this new uh, figure, this Witch Queen figure, is it based off of a, a character that you've had in a painting before? Or was this an entirely new, uh, or did you have to create art specifically for this project? Uh, it's the witch, the witch character has been in many of my artworks before, since 2015, I guess. I had an art show in New York called Triad. And Triad is is about three characters. One of them was the witch, and the other two was the the nurse and wrestler. And yeah, they were in a couple of paintings. And then the the painting series was made into a pop up book. And I really liked the characters, and I also did some silkscreen art prints with them in it so the witch character she's kind of like a shapeshifter she has two two big horns but other than that she keeps changing kind of you know the hairstyle and you know (laughs) she looks different in different art pieces so yeah so it's it's like a queen version of her Nice that figure. That's amazing, and and you know, like you said, you you're no stranger to working um, with Kid Robot, and you've made several figures over the years. Do you like just in general how your artwork translates to the third dimension? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun, and sometimes sometimes the figures look better than my drawings. Oh. well because you yourself were a a toy collector i mean you've you're a longtime toy collector even back when you were a kid um you were saying uh i guess what first got you into toy collecting was it just uh an extension of what you enjoyed as a kid 
Yeah, yeah. I I really liked playing with toys that are more like like dollhouse playset kind of toys. I was not much into into dolls, like fashion dolls, like Barbie and stuff like that. I was more into uh yeah, the toys with with houses and you know, the world around it. So I was really obsessed with with toys, but my mother gave them away at some uh-huh. point. You know, usually kids lose interest in toys, but I didn't. <laughs> and when I grew up, I decided to get back the toys I had lost in my childhood. Uh, I started going to old toy stores and sometimes they had they had really old toys in the storage and I would buy it and also when I started using internet there were you know internet auctions and I also got into American kids toy from from 70s or 60s and 80s and I started using eBay and spent, <laughs> spent a crazy amount of money eBay. You know, I was buying from Japan. The shipping was it was insane, but I didn't care because I really wanted wanted the toys. And also it was inspiring. Sure. For my art, yeah. The colors of the toys and the sh- the shapes. Yeah. Especially American toys. You know, I think it it looks normal to American people. Probably, but to Japanese people, it looks very, very colorful and crazy. Really? Yeah. yeah, my little pony looked crazy to me because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's ponies with long, colorful ha- hairs and kind of psychedelic. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So this new figure, um, is this pre-order limited to a certain number? Or I want to make sure that anybody listening that might want to pick one up knows enough oh, in advance. thank you. Thank you. They are taking pre-orders. And I think the, the original version with, with the purple dress, I think it's not a limited edition. Okay. They're taking as many orders as they can. But they recently started taking pre-orders for the black and gold version oh, okay and i think that was 300 okay so that one's edition. so they have two they have one that's unlimited for people that that want to take their time and then there's a limited version that is available as well i think so yeah okay. awesome very cool so uh, you know i want to talk to you a little bit about another new uh kind of late breaking thing that i i discovered while uh, reading up and it's actually like announced last week i think um a new comic platform that's being um oh, yeah 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 <laughs> put out called distillery uh, it's a new like co-founded by the the former uh ceo of comiXology um and i think the the former head of content there is also one of the founders of this new platform um and it's a new creator owned uh digital and physical comic book publisher and distributor called distillery and when i hear like creator owned i think like image comics because that's just what i am used to you know like so is it similar in concept to image as far as like what this new platform is uh yeah i heard 
some people saying that, but I actually don't know. I okay. <laughs> I haven't been in the comic world for a long time, but yeah, people people are saying it sounds like Image Comics, but I'm still trying to figure out what I'm getting into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I saw your name attached to the announcements. I mean, there was a several yeah, artists, yeah. several comic artists that were attached to it. I can't, I can't tell you a lot about it right now. I'm not supposed to, but for now, I'm not doing a comic for them. Okay. I'm doing something different for them. Interesting. Pretty excited because it's, you know, it's new to me. I'm one of the founding creators and. Yeah, maybe it's a good chance for me to think more about comics. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing because, like, uh, you know, Will Dennis is involved, who I remember back, like, he was an editor on, like, classic Vertigo titles. So, like, oh, really? um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, DMZ, I think he was one of the editors for, like, a lot of the, the old, like, really good Vertigo titles he, he was mm. attached to. And then I saw that Kodansha is also an investor, the, the famous Japanese yeah, yeah. manga uh you know, uh, publisher for like, mm-hmm. they've been doing, you know, hundreds, hundred years, they've been making, you know, comic magazines in, in yeah. Japan. Um, and it, it, like the business model itself, I think is pretty interesting where, um, they're only going to sell like digital comics for like a week. And then anybody that purchased the comic in that week, like owns it and can then sell it. And the aftermarket sells a portion of it goes back to the comic creator. Like, it's really interesting. Like, yeah, it Business sounds model. interesting. Yeah, and I'm wondering how it works. Right. It feels <laughs> very new. They also said they were making some physical comics. Right, I saw well. that too, yeah. Yeah, so like yeah. it's going to be like a combination of digital and physical and what they're doing with di- digital, they're trying to mimic the aftermarket experience for physical comics or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited and interested. Very cool. Um, so last thing before we, we shift in to talk more about what you have coming up, I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about your experience working with the music industry. So in addition to comics and gallery art and figures and now this new platform, you've also done several uh, gig posters for bands over the years, including the mm-hmm. Melvins and Faith No More, Swans. Um, how do these projects, how do these gig poster projects usually come to you? Is it bands or is it the like managers or... Uh, it was the band. Uh, I think it was also in 2000, around 2005. I was still living in Japan. And my publisher in San Francisco, they got an email from the vocalist of Faith No More. Oh, nice. And he wanted to work with me on the on the cover of a CD or something. But it didn't happen at that time. But we kept in touch. Because I liked his music, and and I think uh, after that I moved here, but I went to his live shows when it happened in Japan and talked with him. And also, when I was in New York, he also had a live show. You know, he's in a different project. And after I moved here. Uh, the person who was making gig posters for Faith No More, you know, uh, uh, Melvin's and, you know, all the other projects, he contacted me and we started working. 
And I was really excited because I always wanted to do the gig posters. It's, it's the culture we don't have in Japan. And I was fascinated looking at the, all the, you know, posters, you know. Sure. It's been going since the 60s. Right, right. Maybe or yeah. earlier. I don't know, but I really like looking at all the, the images. That's amazing that, that like Mike Patton is the guy that, really wanted to work with you that's incredible yeah 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 i also did the the bunny logo mm. for for the new mr bungle nice CD. that's amazing so like when when you're working on these gig posters whether it's for faith no more or melvin's um how much like involvement or input do you usually get from the band along the way for that specific design do they give you input or, or things that they want you to like to incorporate into the design or is it pretty much just fully, you know, your control? I think it depends. For Faith No More, sh- more Faith No More shows, I think there were things that they didn't want the artists to include in the artwork. But usually it's, it's pretty much up to the artists. It's really fun. I can be, I can be really free. Yeah. Yeah, do do you do you usually try to bring pieces of their music into your art pieces when you're when you're making a gig poster? Yeah, sometimes I listen to their, you know, new album and and come up with ideas, but sometimes I just I just do whatever I want. It depends. That's amazing. Um so what do you have coming up? I mean, we talked about the new figure and the new distillery platform, but other than that, what else do you have coming up that you're working on in 2023? I'm working on a lot of things. Let me check the uh, the list. So I just finished this painting. Yeah, it's beautiful. In the, in the background. It's going to Amsterdam for a group show, but I'm going to have a have a tarot themed show in November at Nucleus. I've always wanted to design my own deck of tarot oh wow yeah for a long time i've also got a lot of requests from my fans that they want you know my tarot cards i've never done you know reading tarot or anything but i've always been fascinated by the the design so i'm starting the project this year by doing art shows of tarot cards they have like 78 different cars and they can't do it at once. So I'm going to do two or three art shows, you know, making the images. And finally, uh, we are planning to make, make them into the actual wow. tarot deck. It's going to take a few years though. Sure. But I'm starting it this year and I'm doing, I'm doing a, a poster, <clears throat> silk screen poster for for Melvin's forty year anniversary this year. Oh, and I'm doing another pop up book. Nice. I'm ma- making a food themed pop up book. <laughs> well, you recently Hopefully. did a show on on food themed works, right? Yeah, it was like yeah. last year or the year before last. Yeah, I've been doing this doing this series of food themed paintings over the years 
And we had the last one last year, and the, the pop-up book publisher decided to make some of the pieces into pop-up. Is this the same publisher that you worked with before on your other pop-up book? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the same same publisher. Nice. For the Nucleus work, the tarot um, work that you mentioned, you said there's something in November. Is that going to be a show that's going to be some subset of the 78 pieces, or are you going to be spreading them out across all of the, the shows that you have coming up in the new next couple of years? Uh, for now, I'm I'm learning about tarot reading a book i but i'll probably pick some some cars for the show and you know i'm probably doing like 25 or six okay different cars and and keep doing it awesome in, in the next few years really cool i like i love that idea that's amazing um i one of the Former guest uh, Jeremy Hush had his own tarot deck that was, I think, very well received by the community. So I love that idea. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fans of tarot are there, yeah. uh, you know, wanting different things. Awesome. Anything else coming up that you'd want to put on people's radar, events, print releases? I mean, you mentioned the Melvin's poster, but any uh, print, mm-hmm. like art print releases of your own work? Uh, I just want people to to check my Instagram and also subscribe to my newsletter. Awesome. Yeah. Why don't you let people know where, where to find you online? What's your Instagram and, and your website? Uh, my website is, is Mizuno-Junko.com and all the other platform uh, you can find it on my website. Very cool. Uh, last question, and this is something that I like to ask everybody. Uh, who is one artist that you'd like to see me have on the show? Uh, um, maybe the owner of Gallery Nucleus. Oh, nice. Ben Zhu. I've actually, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually talked to, via email to Ben a couple times. Um, just, you know, oh. he, he's listened to the show and suggested a couple people. So, very nice guy. Yeah. The other artist... Yeah, maybe Ico. Nice. So you guys are, are you guys still pretty close? I know obviously y'all had a lot to do with, you know, she helped, you know, make some connections for you that led to you, you know, getting your visa and everything. But have you all stayed in touch since then? Uh, I haven't talked with her for a long time because we are both very busy and she's in the East Coast and I'm in the West Coast. But we are connected on Instagram and Sometimes she likes my post and it makes me smile. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, you know, we when we meet next time, we can talk like like we have been in touch. Awesome. It's good to have, uh, you know, friends like that that you just feel yeah. fully comfortable with. Uh, Jugo, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, I, I wanted to say I... I'm very jet lagged right now. <laughs> I'm sorry if I sounded sleepy or tired. It's not like I'm in a bad mood or anything. <laughs> I, think, I think you did great for what it's worth. I think you, you did a great job. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that's it for this episode of Art Affairs. 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Junko. It's super impressive how ambitious Junko was at such a young age, sending in comic submissions at both 10 and 13 years of age. And I didn't even realize that so many comic creators in Japan got started at such a young age, like she said. And then 10 years later, after making those initial submissions as a kid, she was discovered by a publisher through this DIY zine that she'd been making in her spare time. An activity that she'd been up to since she was five, making zines for her sister to read. And from that fortuitous discovery, she's had such an interesting and varied career. Primarily focused on gallery art, but also making figures and gig posters. And now this new comic publishing and distribution endeavor, Distillery. She wasn't able to talk too much about what she's doing for them, but I'm sure she'll be sharing more on Instagram as it gets closer to launch. The other really cool project she has coming up is that tarot card painting series. Spread across several shows over the next few years, Jinko's going to be creating paintings of different tarot cards in her style. With that and this new Witch Queen figure, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out this year from Junko. So thanks again to Junko for joining me today, and thank you for checking out the show. I'm truly grateful for your support. And just a reminder, one big way you could help out if you're really enjoying the show would be to check out the show's Patreon. You can find all the details on patreon.com artaffairs. And as always, you can contact me through my website at artaffairspodcast.com or on Instagram at artaffairspodcast. So until next time, be good to yourself and be good to each other. Thank you.